In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, hello, my name is Julian Gibb, and you're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. Perhaps you're listening on the radio, or perhaps you're listening to us via computer or uh, on the web. Whoever you are, wherever you are, a warm welcome. So here on this show, it's about the church reaching out to those outside of the church community. As Christians, we're called to love those, love our brothers and sisters within within our own church body. But what about those who aren't believers? What about those who aren't necessarily Christians that go to our church? And today we're blessed to have Jennifer. So Jennifer is the uh, Tucson Refugee Ministry. She works there. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, uh, first of all, tell us... uh, Tell us a little bit about the uh, refugee mission. What, what, what's your goal? What, what's your vision? What, it is, what is it that you do? Yeah, I think a lot of people don't even know who refugees are. So refugees are um, people that have been forcibly displaced from their home. And so we have, gosh, about 90 million refugees right now in the world. Um, So people who've been forcibly displaced um, because of war, because of persecution, because of famine. So they're really living in another um, area other than their home. And many of them are in camps waiting for a new home. here in the United States, we have refugees that are resettled into our major cities. They're invited in by our government and resettled here. But when they're resettled, they don't come with their family members. They don't come with their support systems. They don't come with great wealth. They come with basically the clothes on their backs are resettled into our cities and don't know anyone. Mm. Wow. So so you, you arrive in... 90 million is that what you said nine zero yeah so we have 26 million of the 90 million displaced people in the world that are actually um vetted as refugees so they've gone through years of interviews and trying to make sure that they would be safe to be resettled but really we only resettle about one percent of that population in the world so um you know um the United States does its best for um, resettling that we can, but there's also other countries that resettle Germany and Canada and lots of other places too. And of course, England. England, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, so, so these people, uh, these ladies, these gentlemen, these children, they arrive uh, coming from uh, an awful background, one where they are uh, violently or pressured to uh, to leave. Uh, for for a variety of reasons, so they arrive with the shirt on their back, uh, but with no um, no no settings, perhaps no family, no possessions. And so, how how do you guys at the um, at the refugee ministry how how do you help them? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, the biggest human need for anyone is to have connection with another human. I mean, really other than, of course, being connected with God. Um, but you really need to have the people around you. If you've been through kind of those layers of trauma of maybe seeing a family member killed, of losing your home, of living in a temporary place and then being resettled, you just have all these layers of trauma. And when you come in, you know, no one. And it's really scary. You don't know the culture. You don't know the language. Um, very often, especially here in um, Tucson, they're not also um, accepted into their faith communities. So we have a great quantity of them that are Muslim, but the mosques that are here say that they're not the right kind of Muslim. And so you have, you know, just this large group of people who are feeling really alone and just super blessed that we get to come alongside them and build friendships um, and build relationships with them. So that's really, we do, we have a lot of different programs that aim at building relationships with, you know, maybe it's tutoring kids, maybe it's our teen boys and girls programs, maybe it's our international kids camp, which is actually a, um, it's a VBS. It's a contextualized mm. VBS mm. that's made up of mostly Muslim <laughs> kids. <laughs> um, and we have, um, you know, where we teach English to the parents. We've got this Arrive and Thrive program where we are helping them to understand our financial system and be able to get better jobs or be able to work back in the area that they used to work in. Maybe they were an engineer in their home country and they want to come back here. Let's figure out how you could do that and work in that here so that you're able to you know, kind of get out, out of that poverty level of starting at zero and do better for your family. Um, definitely, we do a lot of support with the youth and the kids, because if your parents don't understand the language or culture, school is that much harder. Um, and so we just love, love, love on them in a lot of different ways. Baby partnerships. So if you're a mom and you're used to giving at birth at home with your mom and your sisters surrounding you and you don't have that here, gosh, it's scary to be in the hospitals, especially during COVID when no one else can go in. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should grab just a group of ladies, usually a women's ministry at a church and surround a new refugee mom. And they, they just love on her through the whole process and celebrate with her when the baby is born. So, uh, to put that into, uh, into a nutshell so that, so that I can understand it. Um, so really there's a thing about community. There's a big emphasis (laughs) on community. And so, so drawing all of these people, um, I mean, because they're coming from, I'm assuming, all around the world. Uh, and right. so so you don't just naturally throw people from around the world together and expect everyone to have everything in common. I'm, a, I'm making no. an ass- Go on, please. Yeah. So what we were finding is um, we started an English um, club at a public school and it was right next to a large apartment complex where there were just a ton of refugees, families that were, um, you know, housed there. It was government housing. So it was kind of first where they first come in. And these families were not getting along. They were from neighboring countries that were at war with each other. They were suspicious of each other. Mm. You know, they would find that at this this elementary school that even the kids were fighting each other because their parents told each other like, hey, you know, these people are not safe. You know, don't talk to them. And so we started this English class and we had about 40 moms who were coming regularly all of a sudden they started exchanging phone numbers and they started to make friendships and their kids started to make friendships and it changed the entire community over there because now these moms all realized, Hey, they value their families too. 
hey, they're just struggling to make it too. Oh, they're struggling to learn this English word too. Oh, they know Arabic and I can speak to them in my in my native language. It was just this beautiful, um, you know, kind of picture of community. And with that, you know, then we were also doing things with their kids. And so, you know, we just had this this place of trust. Can I tell you a couple stories about things that have happened out of that? Please, please. All right. So we have this um, one of the ladies who is coming to English class really, really regularly. Um, their family is an SIV family, which means that um, their her husband was um, an English speaker in a Middle Eastern country where there was war. And he cooperated with the U.S. government and military, really, to be able to help in that area. That then made them a target. So um, if the military was to pull out of that area, then they would be um, killed kind of by their countrymen. So so the U.S. military um, took them out. They became refugees and resettled in Tucson. Um, so we had, you know, all of their kids in kids camp, mom is coming to English class, dad is in our arrive and thrive ministry where he's, um, you know, figuring out how to get back to his profession of choice. And the teen girls were all in our teen girls group. Shortly after Christmas, I was visiting, um, I was going, we, you know, it's COVID. So we weren't actually, you know, doing a lot of face-to-face stuff, but I was dropping off these, this package with gifts for the, for the girls. It's a, um, a Muslim family and we wanted to make sure that they got in the hands of, of the kids, really the story of what Christmas is really about. They got gifts, they got candy, all the things that they love and are excited about. And before, when I had been dropping things off for different holidays or, or going to pick up the kids, there would be this sign on the door that said, it's COVID, don't come in, we mm. are isolating. Yeah. But their sign wasn't there. And so I knocked on the door and the four-year-old boy comes running out, jumping into my arms and drags me into the house. And of course, if you go to any Middle Eastern family's house, they're going to bring you tons and tons of food and they're going to bring you coffee and tea and, you know, just the hospitality is amazing. And so I get in there, I get to see mom and I kiss her on both cheeks because I've missed her so much and haven't been able to see her face for a while. And um, I get to talk to mom and one of the teenage girls and we're having this great chat and dad comes walking through the door with one of the other teen girls. And he says, oh, Jennifer, Jennifer, I'm so excited to see you. And I said, oh, it was wonderful to see you. And he said, I need to tell you something. And I said, okay. He said, we are reading the Injil now. And so I don't know if a lot of people know, but the New Testament, they call the Injil. So it is one of the four holy books for our Muslim friends. And I was just taken aback because for most of the Muslims, you know, they really concentrate on the Quran and not the Injil. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. I'm so excited. And as I looked around, I realized that none of the women were covered anymore. And so I kind of, you know, tucked that away. I said my goodbyes and stuff. Not long after we had this um, baby shower with the Syrian, uh, another Syrian mom, um, different um, country. And we've loved on this family. They have family partnerships and their kids have been to kids camp and their teen girls are in our girls group. And she actually started a ministry with us that was a mom's night out ministry. So she wanted to gather up all of the women um, that were refugee women and do a mom's night out, which is so much fun. But at this particular time, she was having a new baby. And so we um, got on a Zoom call because, of course, it was COVID. And we're surrounding her in this Zoom call. We delivered all these packages with the things that she needed. Um, And so she's opening up these gifts on Zoom and she says, stop, stop, stop. I need to tell you something. And I said, okay, what? What do you need to tell us? And she said, I love you guys so much. 
And if you looked around the Zoom call, it was all of her American friends. And she said, I don't think you understand that you guys are closer to me than friends. You are my sisters. Mm. And she's, you know, she's tearing up and she's so excited because we are the people that are surrounding her during this time. We are her friends. We are the people that are there for her. And so she's tearing up and we're tearing up. We're like, oh, that's just so wonderful. She goes, no, no, that's not what I want to tell you. <laughs> and we said, oh, okay. And so we're waiting for it because, you know, we've had, a, a, you know, hundreds of cups of tea with her and loved on her and her kids. And, and she says, we, I, I've been having dreams throughout my whole pregnancy. And I am dreaming of Isa al-Masih, which is in Arabic, Jesus, the Messiah. Oh. Huge. She's dreaming about Jesus. And so we are all then really, really in tears. And she says, Isa al-Masih tells me that I need to be following him and that my baby girl is also going to follow him. My. Huge. Absolutely huge. God is so good. You know, we've been pouring in and loving on her and watching the Holy Spirit move in her has been amazing. We're continuing to pour in as she's understanding more and more about what that is. Another, can I tell you one more story? Do, do pause for a second because my, my <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> but no, carry on then, carry on. I don't, I don't want to squash this. You're listening to the Kingdom and its stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and today we are blessed to have Jennifer. And Jennifer is from the Tucson Refugee Ministry, and she's just been sharing about how uh, people, 90 million refugees around the world, and how a portion of those come to the United States. Uh, they don't have anything, and one of the main things they don't have is community and just how the uh, mission is working together in order to bring community, in order to bring people from various places around the world, various beliefs and worldviews and differences, and bring them all together so that they may be one community, sort of a, a friendship, a unity amongst nations. Now, Jennifer, don't stop. Carry on with your story. Yeah. So I've got another story. So there's a mom that I love. She calls me her sweet sister. She texts me all the time. I've been just loving on her for about four years. She has five kids and they all call me auntie. Um, you know, it really is just this really, really sweet friendship. She, I met her during our um, English class. And um, in our English class, we always do 30 minutes of really, really good English and then 30 minutes of reading time. And our reading time is always out of the holy books, which for us is going to be the Injil, so the New Testament. And so we're telling parables of Jesus every time. So they get a written copy of it. They need to read through it. They get to learn vocabulary. And we keep telling them, like, we're choosing purposely books, um, cho choosing our stories out of the holy books because we want them to be safe stories. Um, and so she every every week they get a new story. And so I go to visit her on Wednesday after she's heard her story. And she always has questions about the story. And so I started bringing with me um, an Injil, which would, it, we call a New Testament, um, it, that was both in Arabic and English. So she could read it in her heart language and that I could read it alongside her. And eventually she says, do you, do you have an extra copy of that? Because I think I really want one of those Injils. And so she now has an Injil. She has been reading it. She asks me so many good questions. <laughs> 
You know, what is what is different about this Isa al-Masih? Why is this Jesus different? I've never heard these stories. These are so amazing. And so God is just working on her heart. The Holy Spirit is moving in her. But she also was one of them. I think I mentioned earlier in a story that the woman that we were doing the baby shower with wanted to do a mom's night out. So she and this mom and then several other moms were sitting with us around the table happened to be the night before Easter. Um, And so I have, you know, food is everywhere because of course, you know, the love language of all, um, you know, people around the world is food. So we've got African refugees, we've got Middle Eastern refugees, and they're all together in this one space. And um, we've been building friendships with them for a really long time. And food is everywhere. But the teenage girls, of course, they love us because we pour into the teen girls. So it's moms and all their teen girls are sitting around this really large table. And they asked me, Miss Jennifer, how come you don't have eggs and bunnies in your house? Isn't that Easter? And I said, no, 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 no. That's not Easter for people who truly believe in Isa al-Masih and in Jesus. And so we got to have this great, big, long conversation about what Easter really is, about the biggest miracle of Jesus and how he forgives our sins. And just so many seeds planted and so many questions that came out of that. But the biggest blessing that came out of that is the very next thing on Easter morning. I told you earlier about the family that um, that came and the little boy that grabbed me in um, because they had been isolating from COVID. Um, and I, and he told the father told me they'd been reading the Injil. On Easter morning, they sent me this great big long text saying it was their first Easter that they were going to be celebrating Jesus oh, as man. their Messiah. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. You know, there's. I remember speaking. Speak. Well, last time we spoke, uh, you were saying just, um, you know, uh, the, the refugee center is there to help and to equip and to train and to teach. But you said, you know, it's amazing just how much you have learned from refugees. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're they're really. It's really about true friendships. I think that if you go into um, into this with an idea of, oh, I'm just going to convert people. I'm just going to convert people. People can feel that. Mm. And this has been mm. really a true give and take. Um, you know, I, there's been some hardships in our family and the refugees have come alongside and made me food and been there to support me. And, and we have been praying for each other. That's part of um, what we've been doing is sharing prayer requests about how do we pray for each other, teaching them how to pray dua prayers, which is um, you know, free prayers instead of rote prayers. Um, but we've really, really built just great friendships and great relationships to where we truly do love each other. And I really think that that's what God really meant when he said to love God and love your neighbor. Mm. Because I think that if you are seeing your neighbor as a project rather than truly loving on them, the Holy Spirit doesn't have as much work or much, you know, room to be able to work in that. But you have this um, ability to speak into the life of somebody who really understands how much you care and love for them. I'm glad we're recording this. I'm going to write that down. So, <laughs> so now, now you you, um, uh, you you have your own family, and indeed, you you adopted some some children. Is this correct? Yeah, so we have four children that are adopted um, out of the U.S. Um, foster care system. Well, I take my hat Teenage- off to you. Yeah. Te- teenagers. <laughs> teenagers. Yes. Oof. Yes. And- <laughs> 
what's amazing is, and I know I'm going to break into another story. I'm always full of stories is that um, my very good friend actually started this ministry. Um, Her name was Cherie Gray. And in the beginning of the ministry, she kept asking Jennifer, Jennifer, will you come and volunteer? And we had our, our kids were little and they were fosters at the time. And I said, gosh, I just don't think I can do it. But about five, six years ago, when the um, Syrian war was really raging, our children saw on the news that all of these people that were wearing hijabs that were covered um, were part of this war. And they started to say, Mommy, these are the bad people. And my heart just broke because all four of our children are African-American. And for me, there is this part of I don't want them to ever feel like anybody that looks different than them is bad because a lot of people could look at them and say, because they are African-American that they are bad. Mm. And it just broke my heart. And and my other thought was, is they will never tell somebody that they're afraid of about Jesus. And so we started going to the international kids camp. And so my kids were mixed in with all of these refugee kids, girls that were covered and they started making friendships. And now whenever I go on, you know, visits to go hang out with some of my refugee friends, my kids are with me and it's just a family ministry. So, so Jennifer, you have enthusiasm and life just bursting out of you. You know, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, and so uh, are, are you a superhuman? I mean, I mean, you know, there's, no. we all have pains and issues in life. You know, we've all got to pay the rent, uh, pay the mortgage, whatever it is. You know, kids, I'm sure yours are the best kids on planet Earth. Um, but no. still, there, there, are, there are difficulties. You know, you love them endlessly. I know that. But I'm sure they bring, as we all do, as I do, bring difficulties, you know. Um, so what, how, how, how on earth do you find the time and the energy to be dealing with these very difficult situations? Yeah, so that's really just Jesus. Um, I definitely am pouring out all things to God and trusting in Him for every moment of every day, but also including my family on some of these things. Um, so really that it is family friendships. It's not just about a mom is going and making friendships. Um, but but we do have our own struggles. We're not perfect. We're normal humans. And I have no special education to do this. I really just love Jesus and want to make friends. Um, and I, I think really it could be anyone. If you notice that there's somebody different in your neighborhood or notice somebody that you don't know, strike up a friendship, share your love of Jesus with them. Um, it just it could change their lives. You just don't know what that um, just just giving them of your time and energy and love really will do for them for, for maybe even generations. Mm. You know, if you have one generation that can come to Jesus, then future generations after that could just be so loved. So follow Jesus, love Jesus and make friends and love your friends. Is this, (laughs) this is the, this is the magic formula of uh, that Jennifer has picked up. And uh, I'm assuming this comes from scripture. (laughs) <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. So I'm looking here, uh, and uh, it's the uh, Tucson Refugee Ministry dot com. So uh, mm-hmm. perhaps you're in Tucson, or perhaps you're somewhere around the world, and you simply want to be praying for Jennifer and the team as they reach out to people from around the world and uh, seek to affect them, seek them to not only um, 
teach Jesus's uh, love, but to show them, to show them in words. So uh, evangelism and discipleship and love all in one. But what would you say, Jennifer, to someone listening? Uh, they're, they're currently driving back from Safeways or wherever. And uh, what would you say to them to say, oh, Jennifer's, Jennifer's a superhuman um, but I, you know, I just haven't got what it takes. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pray for her and, and that. But, but me, you know, I, I, I'm just not that type of personality that can reach out to the person next door. What would you say to them? Um, perfect love casts out fear. Um, and I think that I was in their position, too, um, in that I was afraid, <clears throat> excuse me, afraid of making Um, of making friendships, afraid of somebody who's different than me. But really, my life has been so enriched by being able to make friendships cross-culturally. I've just learned so much from their hospitality, so much about um, grieving with each other, um, so much about just um, how naturally that the Holy Spirit and that Jesus can flow out of somebody. Um, And I'm not a superhuman. I don't have any sort of special skills. I really just am brave enough to say hi and, you know, hey, could I come visit you or could we, you know, do you want to meet at the park sometime and just make a friendship um, with somebody who's who's just kind of lonely? Well, amen. Amen. So so to paraphrase you and correct me when I go wrong, put words into your mouth is love Jesus and just step out and start. Yeah. Would that be? Yeah. Because I know sometimes we can sort of paralyze ourselves. It's like, oh, no, I'm going to do something that's going to change the world overnight, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and we do get stuck. But really is, it is just loving, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Well, I, I personally find this very encouraging and challenging and uh, need to go and get out and uh, do as Scripture says, do have you have just said. And perhaps if you're listening, you need to do the same. We would love to hear your stories, so do go onto our website. But we would love to learn more about you. But for now, Jennifer, thank you for sharing this time with us. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on the Kingdom and its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.